And now it's time for the podcast, Sustainable Dad. Duggan here for Sustainable Dad. And what is going in your shopping trolley? Seriously, pause for a moment and think about it. Because the way you shop is going to have a direct impact on the footprint that you create for you and your family. Are you a big fan of eating cherries out of season? Well, that may not be the best decision. Do you not buy local because, you know what, it's just easier going to the supermarket. Is that the, is that the right decision to make? I don't know. And so as part of this series, I wanted to start now a little bit more talking about bottom up. What does your grocery shopping list look like? Is it helping or hindering the planet? Let's look at the value chains associated with all the products that you are buying. Now, to help us out with this, uh, I've managed to snag a chat with another CSIRO scientist named Lily Lim Camacho, who's going to share with us a little bit about how technology is helping with those value chains, but how we, as a family and certainly for me as a dad, can make better decisions, more sustainable decisions about what we do at home and the decisions we make surrounding fruit and veg season to season. Now, this interview appeared first on the Hope for Our Planet series on Hope 103.2, but I hope you find it some benefit here. Joining me today is a CSIRO researcher, Dr. Lily Lim Camacho. Top of the morning to you, Lily. Good morning. Lily, I mean, this kind of is a, is a process of discovery for me. And um, the area of your expertise is around value chain and climate. Can you just, let's just talk for a second about agricultural value chain. What is that about? Essentially, agricultural value chains is that whole system that brings your food to the plate. Um, so it starts off with the ground, it, then you grow some, some your crops in there, you add fertilizers and water, sunlight, of course, all these sorts of things. And it goes through all the steps that you need to, to essentially be able to access that food. And that includes you know, the shops you buy it from, the trucks that take it there, all that. That's your value chain. So when you're looking at that, then obviously I'm guessing there are some um, agricultural crops that are not necessarily as sustainable as other agricultural crops, right? Yeah, you could say that. Um, although I have to say that our measures of sustainability vary. And what we mean by sustainability varies a lot. So it's very hard to say that one crop is more sustainable than another, blanket-wise, because what we mean by sustainability differs. Oh right. Okay. Well, can you can you kind of unpack that that thought a little bit more? Because I guess the way I've always approached sustainability is that we've got this big issue with climate change that we need to address. Right? There's there's more CO two in the atmosphere than there's ever been. That means that the entire planet is warming up, and when that hits a critical point, we're in major strife. And so we're trying to reverse that by instituting practices that not only just stop CO2 going into the atmosphere, but lower that. That's always been my perspective. Is that a wrong perspective to have? No, 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 it's not at all. It's actually part of the sustainability conversation. So so how I've always seen sustainability is being able to sustain that activity or that process or that thing towards the future, given the resources that you have. 
Um, and so, so when we think about sustainability, of course, we think of the impact on the environment. Are you using the resources the right way? Are you leaving enough for the, for the future? Um, is it in a good state? The other way that you can look at sustainability is, are you actually profitable enough to sustain your business? Because if you're not profitable, you're not going to be there in the long term. So that's not sustainable either. The other way we look at sustainability is how we treat people. Are you actually being inclusive and equitable to the people involved in your business across the value chain so that you could actually be there for the future? Those are the things we think of when we think sustainability. And of course, there's your impact or the impact of other things on you. How resilient are you to other pressures such as climate change, such as weather variability in extreme events or even the GFC? Are you able to withstand that? And if you can't, well, you're not going to be there for the future. So I'm such a novice to this. I'm such a city slicker. And my, my co-host is a, is a country boy. And so he gets his head around this stuff as, as well, much better than I do. But I mean, I'm guessing when you, we're talking agricultural practices, that there surely must be this really significant place for digitization and the incorporation of use of computers for, I guess, what, administrating water and fertilizer and feed and picking the right plants at the right time and calculating when you plant them. I mean, are we seeing a heavy digitization of the agricultural industry here in Australia? Yes, we are, actually. And, and look, I'm not going to say that it's this ultra-high-tech blockchain sort of stuff happening. There's some of that happening. But overall, what I see digital as being uh, uh, contributing to Australia, Australian agriculture is actually setting that base for decision-making. It's how, what you said just there. So it provides the information for people to make decisions right there and then. So we have a lot of apps at the moment that we're seeing that help people understand weather better, understand when to put fertilizer um, better, but also there's a lot of efforts in bringing all this information and decisions together to make better sense for the broader agricultural system. So where should we be planting is that question. You know, if we look outside from space, you know, through remote sensing and, and satellite imagery, where are the shifts taking place? Um, so there's a lot of, of digitization at the small scale, but also a lot of digitization at the grand scale for agriculture. I guess this conversation really becomes significant if climate continues to change the way it is unimpinged. And I, I think I kind of scratch my head because I haven't fully got my head around this, but because temperatures have gone up one degree, that's really significant. If they go up another further one and a half degrees, we're in real ch challenge. But if, if you said to me, Lily, the difference is 22 degrees versus 24.5 degrees, I go, well, that's not a terrible change, is it? Well, if you think in averages, it doesn't seem a lot, right? But if you think on a day-to-day -day basis, it's right now probably about 20 degrees here in Brisbane and um, maybe middle of the day we'll hit about 23 Yep. That's exactly what you just said there. So, but you know, that's a normal day. That's a fantastic outcome for Brisbane. But those are um, averages. Think of the days where we have um, forty degrees as the norm in Brisbane, and all of a sudden you'll get a heat spell, uh, a really hot spell. What would that look like? So, when we average things out, we look at the bottom and we look at the top, but. In the case of these increasing, uh, increasingly warmer environments and climates that we have, those extremes pan out 
much stronger. So they, you know, I'm trying to, to wave my hand here to show you. I wish I had a graph. Um, but essentially, you're, you're pulling out those, those extremes a bit more. The colder nights are going to get colder. The hotter nights are going to get hotter, which is why the average is slow moving. But actually, you're pulling out at the end a bit more. Um, so the extremes are going to get worse. And the problem with these these slow-moving averages, it doesn't actually capture in your imagination what those extreme events will look like. Will they become more frequent? Will they become more extreme? And that's the bit that actually will will hurt us. It's not the slow-moving averages. It's our capacity to deal with these big events and can we actually uh, recover from them? Can we actually adapt? I think of that... um... That old Australian poem, I love a sunburnt country, a land of sleep, uh, sweeping plains, you know, of rugged mountain ranges, of, of drought and flooding rains. So, so what you're saying is the seriousness isn't in the fact that it's gone up necessarily. Well, sorry, it is serious that it's gone up one degree, but the seriousness really plays out in those extremes. And for Australia, who is really very aware of drought and flooding rain, we're going to see a lot more of that happening here in Australia? Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, we're going to get a lot of more of these extreme events and they're in the spaces that we're not familiar with. So as you can see, we had a really hot year this year. I think we had something like, um, did we reach 50 in Adelaide in, in South Australia? We reached this phenomenal record in, in South Australia. Those systems are not used to dealing with those days. Yeah. We saw massive floods all around and those systems are not used to dealing with those kinds of floods. There have floods happened there before, but not that kind. Not at that time maybe, all these sorts of things. And that's what we that, that's what will change us. That those events will change the way we live. It's not the slow moving you know, it's not a slight warming every day. It's those big shifts that will make us think, should we still be farming here? Should we still be living here? Should we build this bridge here if we know that it's going to get washed out every five years or maybe even more frequently? So those are the questions that will transform our society. So so this, I guess, is kind of the narrative of what we saw happen earlier this year with, uh, I believe it was the Murray-Darling Basin, wasn't it? Drying out. Was it the Murray-Darling? It is. So the Murray-Darling, well, it's not just the Murray-Darling Basin, it's um, it's, it's the whole, I suppose. Yeah, Murray Darling for me is a hard thing. That's not my space, and I think there are better experts to talk about sure. that yeah. one. It's quite a complex environment of use and and and, and environmental impact as well. So, okay, okay. So I guess then, I mean, obviously, you're involved in. We're talking about kind of uh, agricultural value chains. Um, I mean, surely agriculture is kind of doing good stuff for the environment because you plant plants and plants absorb CO two, right, and put it back in the soil, like. So wouldn't, isn't part of the solution then just plant a whole bunch more plants that we can eat? <laughs> Not necessarily, because you're actually taking things off. When we, we grow for agriculture, there's only a bit that you actually get and you eat, and the rest you might do something else. It depends on the farming system that you have. So if you could safely say that um, tree crops, uh, so your, your fruits, for example, where you have trees living for decades, would sequester a certain uh, carbon a bit more than, say, wheat. But it's not as simple as that. It's not as black and white as that. Um, the, the way There's also the rest of the chain. 
the way you actually grow these things, how much water is being used, that impacts on your carbon footprint as well. Um, Australia being a huge country. So, for example, uh, mangoes uh, are, are grown up north. They have to travel almost 3,000 kilometres to actually get to the consumer. So you might say, hey, as a tree crop, mangoes seem good for carbon sequestration. But actually, they have to travel 3,000 kilometres. And so your carbon footprint goes up significantly. So, so the questions are a bit more complex than, than they seem. Um, but agriculture is not just about growing. It's about eating it too. You just don't ever think of that, do you? You just go, mangoes are always available. But the reality is, is sometimes when mangoes are available, it's because they're being flown in from California so we can eat them. And I, get, I guess then that kind of becomes a, a topic for education of, of, I guess, like seasonal diets. You know, like I, I think if you're, if you're eating foods within seasons, then do you have then the capacity to lower a carbon footprint because it's what's in season and it's what's readily available? Absolutely. So by eating in season, you're actually um, uh, reducing the need for refrigeration. Uh, you're reducing the need for something to be imported. On the record, mangoes don't come from California. We don't import them. But, yeah, they, they grow from North Queensland and Northern <laughs> Territory. <laughs> um, but, but the reality is, for example, we get apples year-round now. Um, and that's a lot of advances in technology. That's advances in science. It has led us to, to having apples year-round. Uh, but that means a lot of refrigeration, um, a lot of movement of apples, depending on where you're growing them and where they go. Avocados being, um, we now can eat them almost the whole year, right? Mm. They're available all the It wasn't long ago that we didn't have avocados certain times of the year. Um, so advances actually help us get to those points. Uh, but there are some crops that you're better off just sticking with them seasonally because by having to import them like asparagus, um, these sorts of things, means that they have to travel a long distance to get to you. Um, yeah. Okay. So so for me, is I guess, a, an end consumer of that product because I, I guess agricultural practices are oftentimes driven by consumer demand. What are, what are some of those things that you go, hey, listen, you just need to be aware that if you eat these out of season, um, that actually has a significant impact um, on the environment, I guess, for want of a better term. So are you talking about specific crops? Yeah, so you, or... said, you said asparagus. If you eat asparagus out of season fresh, that, that takes a lot of energy to get to you. And it might be better yeah. for you not to eat it out of season. Are there other fruits or vegetables like that where you go, you know what, if it's not in season, I would not have that. Just don't buy it. Because it, it, right, if the demand yeah. isn't there, then people aren't – if the demand for the food isn't there, um, a supermarket won't supply it, right? I'm going to go with my personal lens when I go to the supermarket. So I tend to look for Australian-grown fruit because yep. I know that means it's, in, it's more likely grown in season. Um, and when I say in season – it's the season that we've allowed it to grow into. So we've had the science to allow to grow something in its new season, right? Uh, so cherries, I don't buy Californian cherries. I don't, grow, uh, I don't touch them just because I know they've traveled a long distance. Poor things. So, <laughs> um, I, I try to eat my fish locally because that carbon footprint is, is smaller. Um, so 
noting that Tasmanian salmon eating in, eaten in Tassie is going to be has a different carbon footprint to Tasmanian salmon eaten in Brisbane. Right. So, so it, it comes down to that. But as a consumer, I think I um, the main thing is you work on things you 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 can do and you build on that. You build on your suite of, of actions you can actually do, like not filling your kettle too much yep. when you're boiling a cup of tea for yourself. Um, you know, minimizing the the, the the runs to the shop so that you're actually you know, you're not buying too much food and there's less food waste, for example. Stewing things because you can chuck anything there that doesn't look quite nice. <laughs> yes. Things like that. So food waste is a big area that consumers can actually touch. Um, we can also look at what is in season, noting that seasons do change now as we become more advanced. And of course, we're prioritizing if you think of healthy diets too, you, you, you consider that and in the end that will have an impact overall. So diverse diets means that you actually probably will have a, a good impact as well on the diversity of the, the environment. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Lily, it's been an absolute treat getting to talk to you today. This has kind of helped to grow my knowledge, I guess, on the subject. <laughs> Thank you. hope you, your next supermarket sort of shop is going to be interesting. Oh, I hope so too, yeah. Thank you. <laughs>